Today's episode of Azure Lunch is sponsored by the Microsoft New Zealand Partner Hub. If you're building software or providing services related to Microsoft products, then you should check out the Partner Hub for training, advice, and a heap of resources, including the Partner Practice Playbooks. Check them out at aka.ms/nzpartnerhub. Welcome to Azure Lunch. It's our regular podcast on news and views from Microsoft Azure with a Kiwi slant. I'm Daniel Larson, Senior Technical Evangelist at Microsoft, and I'm joined by Matt Simpson, Senior Technical Evangelist at Microsoft. Good morning, Matt. Morning. We work for Microsoft, but of course these opinions are our own. That always you know, interests me when we say that. The great thing about working for Microsoft is Microsoft actually don't mind if we express our own opinions as long as we prefix every opinion with these opinions are our own. Have you noticed that? I've seen that, see that on Twitter all the time, right? Mm. I think everyone's doing it now. I think yeah. we've got to a, that culture stage where it is, uh, it's important to um, you know, embrace that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing is, have you seen those partner practice playbooks? Yeah, and the new one. They're amazing. Mm. What's the new one? Uh, the new one around the ISV playbook, which is um, specific to, yeah, um, we call them ISVs, but you yeah. know, software vendors building on the cloud. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah one, of our, one of the teams showed me that the other day. So we've got the, we had the five, mm-hmm. um, which was around, um, you know, there's kind of the, the managed service providers, but also data practices and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, a really good uh, way of looking at it from uh, building the practice, uh, having a framework and really kind of establishing it like um, from soup to nuts, really. Yeah. Um, I was telling a friend of mine about this the other day. There's even like the JD mm. for the cloud solution architect in there. Uh, there's the marketing plan for how to structure your business. There's the... Um, you know, what is the margin, the, the gross profit margin for various types of services? It's all in there, an amazing resource. And um, we're a big fan of uh, the, the team that wrote those books. So check them out as well. Anyway, we should get on to business today. We've got three topics we want to talk about. First one is the new uh, reserved instances for Azure SQL DB. I hope I've, I've got that right. We're also going to talk about the Azure DevOps Toolkit, uh, which, is, which is pretty awesome, which has come out from one of our uh, core engineering teams, and also media services. But let's start with Azure SQL Reserve Instances. So Matt, my understanding of this is we all know, hopefully, what a VM reserved instance is. That's where you can pre-reserve or purchase or allocate a VM for a period of time, either one year or three years. And when you do that, uh, Microsoft and other vendors do this as well, uh, will give you a discount on, on that price, right? Uh, and it sounds like we're doing a very similar thing for Azure SQL DB. So just as a reminder, Azure SQL DB is a platform as a service product. And what's interesting to me is that we're starting to give reserve instance pricing on platform services. What's your take on that? Yeah, I guess, um, is it around, I mean, I always think about it, you know, sometimes those kind of pre-purchased cell phone plans, you know, you kind of, you know, you know what you're getting and it's kind of, they're able to, I guess, um, understand what what you're getting from the network um, at that point in time. So you're kind of signaling to Microsoft that you intend to use this um, and it's, you know, it's your kind of steady state. So you're going to turn around and say, um, yep, um, I've always got this kind of core database. Maybe it's my operational data store. Um, this, it's not going to fluctuate too much in size. So I can actually turn around and say, yep, I need this much capacity. And that's kind of my, my base operating cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can reserve it and nice. tell Microsoft that I'm not going to just turn it off um, tomorrow and save myself some money, which you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that gives the team that runs you know, capacity at Microsoft um, 
some signals around um, whether they need to plan for this stuff and they know that this is going to be steady state. So it helps our process of, um, you know, they're shipping stuff into the data center every day. Mm-hmm. Um, this gives them a signal that you know, this is going to be, you know, we're kind of giving that indication, same as the RIs um, mm-hmm. for, for VMs. So, yeah. It's really interesting, doesn't it? It exposes in a way that the problem of the cloud, the big problem of the cloud is resource management and capacity planning. When you know we talk about the cloud as you know, some people still think of the cloud as this infinite resource of compute, which you know, of course, our marketing teams we really want you to to see it like that. Is that is a nice and simple way of thinking of it? But you know, as engineers, we know under the hood there are data centers with racks with you know real machines in there, and we have to plan uh, how many of those we're going to we're going to build, we're going to provision at massive scale, at an unbelievable scale. And I think those reserve instances probably help those teams to plan their resource, right? And that's a good thing. Hmm. So when we when we're able to better plan for our resource and capacity over a one or three year period, obviously with, there are cost savings uh, from that, and um, our our pricing is pretty transparent. I think we we pa- are passing those onto customers through the through the RI plans. And I guess by making our lives a bit easier, we're passing on more cost, right? By you turning around and saying, "Yeah, I'm always going to use this system, and it's always going to be there," then you know, um, you know, Amy's happy because as a CFO, you know, that's <laughs> that's kind of an understandable. We know we're going to get that, so there's not a conversation to be had there. But you know, it's, it does does yes. make all those um, other systems kind of tick on. Or we know that you're going to commit to it for a, for a period of time. Then we can, you know, uh, I guess turn a few things off. Um, in terms of our signaling process, which which yes. which which triggers that right when yeah. when somebody starts, you know, when somebody goes into a region and stands up a load of um, uh, resource, obviously that um, you know that then triggers on downstream to 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 um, you know get that just in time uh, motion going, and you know more and more signals uh, fire off saying right we're we're gonna we're gonna reach capacity. X period of time, and that's mm. you know kind of pushed it over, or you know changed the velocity, I guess. So mm. we're now having to push more resource in. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the Amy you're referring to there is uh, Amy Hood, yes. our wonderful CFO um, globally. And if you haven't seen a talk by Amy, I, I suggest you uh, you Google it on Bing for sure. That's um, it's got some great vision in terms of how we plan that right down to a financial level, um, which is an interesting aspect. Even as an engineer, I find to think about cloud. All right, so one last thing on that. There is, some of us will understand the DTUs model, that's the database transaction units model for, um, I guess, purchasing Azure SQL DB. For the reserve instances, we need to move to the vCPU uh, model. To me, that sounds like an abstraction of a, of a CPU. Um, you know, they're not, obviously, there's not, your, your SQL database is not running on one VM under the hood. We've got a a um, massive uh, fabric and cluster underlying that, but is that the way to think about it? You know, eight core, eight cores, twelve cores, sixteen cores, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's still all underpinned by Service Fabric. Mm. So Service Fabric is our you know cloud orchestrator that Microsoft built um, for this purpose, and one of its um, you know its key tenants is um, running Azure SQL amongst other things. Mm. Um, so it's still running that under the hood. But yeah, I think it's just a case of separating it out to give people a more um, DTUs, I, I don't. Um, DTUs was always a, a change, right? And it yeah. was um, there was some tools that could, you know, there was some third party tools. There was some some work that people did to say how do you map this. Um, but I think we're now moving to a model where, you know, you can just turn around and say, well, I had this on prem or this in a VM. It's a bit easier to to think about it like that. Mm. 
So if you are going through that transition from DTUs to vCPUs, definitely check out docs.microsoft.com. There's some great articles uh, on that, and maybe we can do another session on that uh, in this podcast on a future date. Cool. All right. Next topic, Azure DevOps Toolkit. So I saw this on Azure Fridays. Mm. Uh, that is a fantastic podcast. Um, you should subscribe to that. But man, it sounds like an internal team at Microsoft have just built a whole lot of tools, which we've used internally, and then release them into the wild. Is that how you're seeing it? Yeah, it was kind of crazy. They, um, yeah, so, I mean, so like you say, Fridays has kind of exploded a bit. Um, I mean, Hanselman was, uh, Scott Hanselman's been running it for a while, um, but, you know, he's kind of um, pulled in uh, a few other people from, from the team, so there's a lot more people um, coming in to, to Azure Fridays, so definitely check that out because um, they, they, mm. there's more and more every week. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they got the guy on from Engineer, I can't remember his name, I apologize. Um, but yeah, they turned around and said, um, this is what Microsoft use to look after. Because obviously, you know, we have lots of teams um, that use Azure to to build internal internal or external facing services. Mm. Um, and they use this tool to make sure that um, everything's um, secure. Mm. Everything's, you know, we're not, we haven't got any leaks or anything like that. And yeah. you know, subscriptions are locked down. And they, you know, apparently they run this, they run it every day. Yes. I think is yes. What, he, what he said. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, for internal customers, so you know Microsoft being so big with so many teams, we you know we we've got some teams who work with other teams internally and view them internally as customers, and that's how they've been using this tool. My favourite feature of that tool is it'll write the mitigation mitigation scripts for you in PowerShell, which you can then review and then run you know chuck into a runbook in Azure Automation and um, get it to automatic automatically mitigate those um, those security uh, issues that it finds. So. But from my understanding, it was like, I'll take a look at your resource yes. and then create a folder. Yes. And it, you know, and that is just to mitigate that one particular thing that, that it found. Mm. You know, and it's just mm. like that single, you know, single file, a single script. It's not like it's going to, no. um, it's not going to create a script that's going to go over every resource again. And, and yes. that's kind of the thing I, I saw around it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to enumerate your subscription first. Yes. And it's not going to, you know, if you don't have something, if you don't have anything, um, you know, it's got checks for lots of services. Yes. But say you weren't using SQL, um, you know, SQL database, you're using it in VMs or something like that. It's not going to go and run the SQL checks and, you know, it's not going to give you a load of noise just because you're not running it, you know, all the services. It's only going to going to do it selectively. And when it does find that mitigation, it's giving you a specific script that will only mitigate that one problem. It's not going to, it's not like a parameterized thing that you have to go in. It's going to actually go... There's a problem with this resource. This storage account is publicly accessible. Go and lock it down. Don't right. go over all my storage accounts and lock all of them down. So, okay, yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. a real supervised aspect. Mm, yeah, it's kind of crazy actually. Mm. I wonder. I, I probably need to dig into a bit more of what, what they're doing. Under the, I assume they're just. I mean, they're running um, just vanilla PowerShell. I mean, and yeah, some of the modules. Yeah. I don't know if they're using Pester or anything like that. Well, that ARM API, the ARM API, which is the Azure Resource Manager API, is getting richer and richer. You know, every you know, there's hundreds of APIs under that API, and and they're bumping those versions all the time. There's a major feature that we can't talk about coming out very soon, which is going to overlay a whole lot of really cool tools over that, and hopefully we'll, that'll make it into our uh, next edition. But yeah, I mean that's how we manage. Um, yeah, it's how all of our teams manage resources in Azure, and and I guess that those that script and that toolkit is just leveraging um, that great work as well. Yeah, it's great to see where the you know the teams have been really good. I think you know we talked about the playbooks early on, and mm. I think some of that um, the so, some of the team you know Eduardo uh, mm. was had been really big proponent inside Microsoft around those playbooks. Yes. But he worked uh, really closely with Microsoft IT. Yes. 
um, and mm. to, to really share their story about how, how they've changed. And that's an amazing and I think, yeah, story. That's great. I think it's really good how we're, you know, we're telling people how Microsoft, you know, Microsoft's a has a big IT internally and you know that story is just as valuable to anybody that's that's kind of moving to the cloud and if we can give them assets that, that they, they can use. Mm-hmm. I mean I think some of that um, the auto shutdown stuff, um, the idle VM stuff was around Microsoft IT mm-hmm. that came out because um, you know Microsoft runs a lot of VMs True. internally for IT and that's they right. were they were shutting them down you know because because of idle time so I think it's great that we're some of these tools that we're using internally we're just kind of pushing out and, and making kind of everybody benefit from from the work that we're doing internally absolutely right. open source and free mm. and you can take a PR on that stuff as well if you if you think you've got a config that that would suit that toolkit you can take a PR on that project it's amazing mm. Really good. Okay, and so last one now, um, media services. So boy, I've really been enjoying working with Azure Media Services just very recently. It's something I've wanted to, to work on lately. We've got a wonderful customer in Wellington who's, uh, who's looking at using media services extensively for, for video encoding, but it sounds like uh, there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, what's your experience been like, Matt? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, we've been, we've had a great chance to work with the product team over in the in Redmond, and they've been really helpful on on getting us to to, to help us with this um this customer down in Welly, and yeah, just um the really the advances that we're seeing in terms of I love the video indexer, the video AI yeah. is just really really cool. That's unreal. Hmm. And and so tell us about that indexer. What what sort of assets do you get out of that? Uh, you can get um, so it will do um, speech to text and so so it will take mm. the audio it'll take the audio channels so I mean standard pretty good transcription right? yeah really good transcription I mean it's using some of our cog services so it's actually kind of that video intelligence coming in and giving you a transcript of, of the um, the audio so I mean media services base kind of functionality is to encode video obviously yes but then it takes that audio file and then pushes it through cog services and actually um, pulls out the um, the text which is great right so now we can close caption everything. Uh, and that's really good. Um, I certainly, you know, even just from an accessibility point mm-hmm. of view, I still prefer it where, you know, sometimes just having the transcription on anyway, just because, yeah. you know, when you listen to it, but also reading it at the same time, really sometimes for technical stuff, it really sinks. It's a better way for me to learn. And you know, I really, really, really like that. Um, the ability to detect faces in the, in the video stream is another another um, standard kind of preset. You can just say, pull yeah. the faces out of the video. And then it has another cool feature, which is points of interest. So it will turn around and say, I've got, um, you know, I found this face at one minute 50 in and you can, you know, if you don't want to see, you know, me talk and you just want to skip straight to Dan's uh, presentation, you know, it will detect that you're, you know, for um, example, 10 minutes in and you can just, um, you know, you can kind of drag the slider bar. It's great. I mean, we use it for internal. We process our internal um, uh, shows, uh, anything that's uh, yeah. kind of live broadcast to the teams. They, right. they, they, they publish through that. Azure Friday, for example. Mm. Definitely uh, seeing some AMS artifacts in their podcast feed when I was reverse engineering it the other day. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, really good. Yeah. And, of course, does all the basics really well that you would expect from an encoder. You know, thumbnails, as you mentioned, you know, the spriting story is pretty good. Um, and you can have profiles of different encodings of video. And if you know the video world, you know that pretty pretty varied uh, there's a lot of a lot of good domain knowledge tied up into that product and there's a rev coming soon v3 we've been hacking on the v3 we api have, we have indeed um v3 api um just a bit more of a cleaner api mm. surface mm. but also just the ability to do some more events-based stuff and some custom logic as well so what we found was we could um we could actually uh, put some more uh, puts our, our own custom metrics inside or our own custom correlation data um, as part of the, the submission 
process, mm. which which is super handy because we need to create a workflow. Um, so actually, when we um, when we actually call the encoding job, we can pass some of our application logic to it, which we can then pull out later on down the the track. And tied in with that, we're actually using Event Grid to trigger these things. Nice. So when um, you know Event Grid is obviously our pub sub. Um, service in the cloud um, does all the plumbing for us so when events happen we can trigger them um, so the nice thing is when I submit an encoding job when it um, when it's done it can tell me as opposed to me constantly having to poll the API and then I mean yeah I can do back off and you know I can poll it every minute or something like that but sure. it's nice not to have that compute doing uh, kind of a pointless task right because mm. it's coming back just saying I'm not finished yet um, you know that's a waste of a waste of CPU cycles and things like that so now we can just get media services to tell us what it's done and and we can really kind of build those event driven flows and that was a big um, you know the customer that we're working with as an example we're using we're, do, we're doing that and having to run compute so they're still mm. running those um, compute all the time just to handle that um, that workflow where now we can we can move to a completely event driven model and serverless Indeed, yep. Awesome. The and how cool those postman collections. Oh yeah, that was amazing. So then, yeah. yeah, I mean, I wish, and I, you know, I've said this to the product team. I wish a lot of our, a lot of our other teams did this. Um, uh, but yeah, in terms of the API, it's great. Um, they've got a little GitHub repo, yeah. um, which has just got a Postman collection. Um, Postman's just a, uh, it's a free download tool. If you're doing anything with APIs, you're probably already familiar. But it's great just to kind of explore things um, without writing too much code. And um, what you can get now is these collections, which is basically somebody's. Um, Gone and pre Gone and done a day API for you, right? Pre-written all of the uh, you know the puts, the posts, the gets, all of that. Pre-loaded the bodies. Everything's ready to go, and you can just basically walk through that API inside Postman. So if you love Postman and you know the collections, then check that out. I think that's such a good move. I love that um, the way they link um, the bearer token between the requests. Do they? Yeah, I didn't know that because there's a collections environments uh, file as well. So there's a collection environments file that you can right, use, which yeah. gives you all the environments yeah. to plug it in. But the first point of the the first entry point to those and most APIs is the get, yes. get me an auth token. Of course, you can store that as a variable in the collection. Nice. So you can just go get that, and yeah. then the next. So when you do a get on the um, the bearer token, mm. the next uh, the, you just open up a new tab for I want to list all the jobs in media services, and it uses because it's got that magic string. It uses, yeah. stores that for the next one. Wow. So you don't have to cut and paste the. Yeah, you don't have to cut and paste the bearer token and then paste it into the headers of the next one. It just, I didn't it just even realize it was doing that. That's very, very that's cool. super cool. <laughs> but that's, I mean, it's, it's more of a Postman feature. But I, yeah, I, I didn't even know it was there. I know you could do some of the stuff with the like you can generate GUIDs and things on the fly, like using yeah. some of the the functions, the inline functions in Postman and stuff like that. Because yeah. it's, it's crazy, man. It's got some scripts and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, that, that love was, Postman. If you love Postman, check out Newman as well. That's pretty cool. Oh, the the headless. Uh, the, po the PowerShell runner for the post. PowerShell runner. And great name too. Test, test all your APIs. Yeah. All right. Well, you've been listening to Azure Lunch. This is our regular podcast of news and views from Microsoft Azure. Um, just really want to thank Matt Simpson, Senior Technical Evangelist at Microsoft, for joining us. And I'm Daniel Larson, also from Microsoft. Uh, today's episode, kindly sponsored by Microsoft. Check out the New Zealand Partner Hub. Uh, if you're building software providing services related to Microsoft products, then check out that Partner Hub for training. We've got so many training resources there advice and a heap of uh, resources including those partner practice playbooks that we talked about um, you can find it at aka.ms slash nz partner hub thanks very much see you next time